Welcome to our final episode of Curated Culture Chats. I'm your host, Dr. Lacey C. Robbins of Robbins Nest Consulting. And we are here today with Jess Sunier, who is of FitPower MKE. And we've been having a number of conversations. If you haven't had the opportunity to grab the first two episodes, be sure to take some time to hit rewind and listen in. Our first episode, we were talking all about why representation matters. Episode two, we talked about neurodiversity, and we had the pleasure of having Jess's special guest with us here, Tori O'Neill. In this final recording of this series of Knocking Down Walls, we are talking about biology today and the fact that biology is not binary. I am going to insert a trigger warning here So that if you happen to be an individual who struggles with conversations around the LGBTQ plus community, around the trans community, you may want to sit this one out. However, I want to also invite you to lean in. I think it's important that we have these conversations because how better do we get to support one another? Because at the end of the day, there is one individual and that is the human race. And how do we start to do that unless we start to lean in and have these sort of conversations, which is part of the reason why curated culture chats are so important. So Jess, welcome back to the table for this final episode. And Tori, welcome back. We're glad to have you as part of the ride for all three. Today, we're talking about biology is not binary. So maybe we should start at the very beginning, which is helping people to understand the alphabet. Right. (laughs) Alphabet mafia, as the Gen Zers are calling it. (laughs) Yes. Because there's some people who don't necessarily understand. And I really want to be sensitive as well, because I think sometimes we take it for granted that everyone gets it right and everyone understands. And that isn't always the case. So today I'll be speaking from the perspective of I am part of the LGBTQIA plus community and I'm a trans ally. So. LGBTQ plus lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, ace, plus. They added the plus. There's so many ways that people identify and present themselves to the world. So that's what that means. So there's a lot of language and lingo that you're probably going to learn today or hear today. So one term we could use is AFAB which means assigned female at birth. It's what's on my birth certificate. That is my sex. I am cis, which means I identify with that sex. So my pronouns are she, her. Like this is language that we use every day. So it's so normal that I have to like really rack my brain. It's kind of like when I talk about trucking, like I, you know, also own a trucking business and I have to do the same thing. There's so, so much it. to it. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, okay, well, how do I do this? Yeah. So cis is how I identify myself to the world. Like I'm in this body, I identify with this body and it's how I present my body to the world. I'm presenting as well. So is cis an acronym for something or is it short for something? Short for cisgender. Yeah, it just means I identify with the gender of woman. So there's that. Tori, you want to introduce yours? You? Oh, yes. Yeah, (laughs) Tori. Hi. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I, you know, I'm first in line. I'm under the L in the LGBTQ. 
And if you notice, me and Jess might say the acronym a little bit different. I tend to stop at the Q out of habit. She'll include IA+. There's really not a right or wrong way to say it. It's kind of, you can compare it to the whole saying POC or BIPOC. Some people say BIPOC, some people say POC, just kind of depends on their preference. But we're talking about people of color in this instance. For me, I use queer as a catch-all. And I like include everyone in it. So a lot of times I'll introduce myself as like, yeah, I'm queer. And then some people like their their ear kind of goes like, huh? Okay, I'm lesbian if you need a further definition of it. <laughs> to me, it's just like a better way of saying like, like not straight. And like, it's kind of like, well, queer means like not the norm, I believe. So it's kind of like not that. But also we don't want to center, like how we don't want to say non-white and we don't want to like center white people into the BIPOC community. We don't want to center other people into the LGBTQ community. That's why we have so many labels and we want to make sure that we're including them. Yeah. And Tori brought up, she's the L. And for me, I've always identified as pan because my partners in the past, like, it's just like, if I like you, I'm going to date you. Mm -hmm. So like, I've had a trans partner in the past. I've had women partners in the past. Now I've had non-binary partners in the past. Like, so... Just understanding that identity and sexuality are two different things. Because you can present yourself to the world in one way. It doesn't mean who you're attracted to, which I think a lot of people get confused, especially when we start to talk about the trans community specifically. They usually think in like black and white terms. Yeah. But it's, oh, it's colorful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Literally. Okay. So that helps to set some foundations. Mm -hmm. And then Tori, what pronouns do you prefer to use? I use she, her. So like Jess, I'm cisgender. Okay. All right. So then if I were to introduce myself, I would say I'm AFAB and I use the pronouns she, her. Would Mm -hmm. that be accurate? Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. So if someone were to walk up to an individual off the street, And I've started to notice, too, like even in social media, they're giving people now the options to include their pronouns in certain spaces. Is that common that we see people to just say like, hey, what are your pronouns? Like, I know this is a standard that you use in your gym, but is that something that folks could expect anywhere? Yeah. Okay. so in a professional arena, I make sure that people like it's under my email heading, it's in my social media stuff, just so that people know, like I put it in there because it makes it normal. It normalizes it so that it's not just non-binary folk or people who don't identify as cis to like, yeah, it's just like everyone does it. It's normal. If I'm just hanging out with people and I don't know them and I'm just talking to them, I'll just talk to them as if they're they, them, because they, them can also be used in a cis singular. So it's just, it's a catch-all, kind of like queer. Like, it's just, you will include everyone if you say they, them. If I start to really get to know you in a more formal way, so like we're all at a get-together, and after a while, I'll be like, oh, my pronouns are this. What are yours? Just so I, you know, you don't have to say just so that I can respect them. You don't have to validate in any way. Just like, what are yours? Mine are this. It opens a lot of doors. It may catch some people off guard. But if it's part of a normal conversation, it's like, what's your name? It should be that informal and easy to do. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So how would you or how have you responded when people are like, oh, I don't do that? Like you don't have pronouns? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I'll ask you, like, so you don't have pronouns. Okay. So then I'll refer to you as they, them. But if they're 
Like if they're just being rude about it, it's just kind of like minor she, her. And also my name is Jess. So don't call me Ann. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to respect the boundary that you have up, but you still have to respect mine. And this is what it is. Like, that's how common it is. Cause you don't want me to call you by any other name than your own. Right. Yeah. It's about respect. It's basic respect. Like, Primal respect. Primal, right. On the surface, on the surface. Right there. What about you, Tori? Have you experienced that? If someone has been like, oh, I, that's, I don't do that, or, or have you responded? Uh, it's, I'm trying to say, like, what I wish I would do is have, like, an educated <laughs> approach about it. Sometimes <laughs> I just look at them like, really? Really? You're doing this? But most of the people where that I have that kind of conversation with, they're already kind of in the world. They'll pronounce their pronouns. Like, everyone has, like, different circles they can kind of float into. So I have a queer circle who that is a very common thing for us to address. And I like I have my country boy circle. They don't know what pansexual is in any light. So some people just truly are unaware that it is a thing that is done. And through other conversations, I try to bring more knowledge in to just like talk about the LGBT community because it's something they're not familiar with. So I become, I hate to say I become their token, but I become their only person that they know in that community. So I try to explain some basic stuff. And through that, I'll talk about like, she, her, he, him, they, them. And if they're like, wow, that's kind of extra. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, you don't have to do it. But like, if someone does it to you, it'd be kind of jerky if you didn't respect that. Right, right. Pairing of that is like, it's kind of like a basic respect thing. It's like, you speak, especially with the they, them, we speak in they, them so much more than we give ourselves credit for. It's extremely common. When I tell people it's not as big of an inconvenience as you think. And I have yet to meet anyone who, if you make an error saying he or she, when they're they, them to jump down your throat, it's the effort. I feel like it, that truly matters. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Right. It almost reminds me of like a foreign language, because if it's something you aren't accustomed to, it's something you haven't done or have experienced a lot. So I remember like living in Italy, first arriving, speaking Spanish to everyone because I did not speak Italian, but people appreciated the effort, right? And they would even take the time to correct you if you said something wrong or you mispronounced something, more of almost like a courtesy, right? And so I'm imagining it'd be very similar to that you use the wrong pronoun for me, it's actually this. You know, I go by she, I don't go by they. And I think too, and this is really our entire series, it's about language. It's about language and creating a space for that language to take place and to happen. Now, you've used the term a couple times binary. This particular episode is even entitled Biology is Not Binary. What, for someone who may be, again, new, or this is the first time they've heard this term, or maybe they've heard it but didn't know what it meant, Can you give us like the Twitter version of binary? I always think of the matrix and I think of ones and zeros. Things are not all in ones and zeros. Things are not this or that. It's everything. It's not two things. Like binary means two. So it's not just two things. There's so many things. And that's the easiest way that I can describe it. Yeah, it's like it's not black or white. There's lots of shades of gray in between there. So you can float around in many different places. And those places where you stop are not incorrect. They're valid. It's a real existence that you have. Nice. So that's a really nice segue. I didn't even have to cue Tori up for that. That's a really nice segue (laughs) on that it's valid, right? Wherever you are, it's valid. So let's talk a little bit about the gym community. 
and the notion of being binary. I'm thinking a lot about the time we're recording this, the Summer Olympics are happening, and there have been some of the athletes who were literally eliminated. They were banned, for lack of a better word, to be able to participate. Some of the runners from Nambia, the country in Africa, because they had too high of a testosterone level. So, you know, if we're thinking about these spaces, what are your thoughts about this? Well, if we're talking specifically about testosterone and hormones and stuff like that, okay, so this is where things don't get binary. Like, it's not you have this perfect level of testosterone and every single person have it. Like, I'm willing to bet that I have more testosterone than you do. One, because of age. Your testosterone levels might be going down, might be Don't a little bit talk higher. about my age now. Yeah. Dr. Lace about... is very young. We are the same age. Yes, that sounds We're good. 29. <laughs> sounds good. And <laughs> <laughs> so that's where things get tricky. What we're not arguing is that testosterone gives you certain advantageous characteristics. I'm not arguing that because that's pretty black and white. This is what testosterone does as a hormone in the body. What we are arguing is that any person at any given time can have a fluctuation of higher or lower testosterone. So hormones themselves are an outdated way to divide people in sport. And I think because it's the easiest thing that people can grab onto, well, it's this hormone. So it's this, and it's always this. And we talked about, I think it's four. Tori, do you remember? I think it's four. You have to be at per like four. Oh, you know, I don't remember numbers. I know. <laughs> four nanograms per liter of blood in the body, something like that. I sincerely apologize for not having that off the top of my head. I did before. Let's just say X. You're supposed to have X amount. You're supposed yeah. to have X amount. So any woman at any given time can have more than that if you have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Just by merely existing with this syndrome, even if you're not an Olympic-level athlete, you would technically be disqualified from competing in the Olympics because your testosterone levels are typically traditionally higher if you have PCOS. And that's just something that some women or people have. And I'm going to say people, like instead of saying women, I will say people because if you are non-binary, you don't identify as a woman. So it's just to clarify that one. So I'll probably say people, humans, stuff like that. And then... Yeah, so I think that's where I was just like, it's an outdated form of regulating who should be able to compete in what category and who should not. I mean, we know this, I mean, even as men age, their testosterone levels start to drop. It's not to the level of like what they're prescribing for female athletes to compete. But in the same sense, it's such a fluctuating thing. And then, you know, they're always asking women to go on blockers. So help me to understand then, because I've never obviously participated. Well, it may not be obvious. I've never been a participant in the Olympics. Nevertheless, I cannot help but wonder, how is it? Two things. One, you're testing for testosterone levels on the women athletes, which I feel as though is another segue into the policing of female bodies. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, But you're not testing the male athletes for the same, nor are you testing them either one for the levels of estrogen. So that's the first thing that goes through my brain. 
And then the second thing that goes through is the fact that how is it okay to take these testosterone blockers and that be permitted when there's obviously this random drug testing, but this is a drug that's checked off as okay? That's where it gets like, that might be a little bit out of my scope. That's where it gets just too confusing because what people are really, really worried about when it comes to these athletes are they're going to have a biological advantage over somebody else, somebody who tests within the norm or something like that. So uh, we did a test at our, not a test, but we just kind of played with the group. There's about a hundred people there at the talk that we gave. And I had everyone stand up and I listed off a lot of biological advantages that this person would have over somebody else in the room that would have them win what we call an absolute match. So an absolute is where all the weight brackets at the same belt level get to go compete against each other. So somebody who's five feet tall and 90 pounds can compete against, you know, Tori, who's six feet tall. It's kind of the absolute bracket is just, it's... Like a cage match. It's like, who's it's the free for all? <laughs> yeah, it's who's the best of the best, you know? Okay. And the whole thing with jujitsu is the small guy can beat the big guy. And that's true. The small guy can. But the big guy can also defeat the small guy. Like, let's just not leave that factor out. So I just listed off all these things, like who is most likely to win an absolute match. So what were some things, some characteristics that you listed? If you were over... 165 pounds. So if you're under 165 pounds, sit down. If you do not strength train more than one day a week or two days a week, I think it was two days a week, sit down. Because strength training, as we know, increases connective tissue and bone density. It makes you stronger Mm -hmm. overall. So you have Mm -hmm. less breaks, less injuries. If you are under five foot five, sit down. I would have to sit down. Well, that's the thing. (laughs) So many people sat down. Mm And there were like three people left standing. Wow. And I was like, these three have an advantage over all of you. Yep. Should they not be able to compete in the absolutes? I've had people tell me it's not fair that I compete in absolutes. Yep. I remember at Worlds, the coach told this, I mean, she was five feet tall. Bless her heart. She, <laughs> the coach told her to run in circles around the mat so that oh. I couldn't make contact with her. So she lost because she was deducted points for like avoiding contact. I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever. (laughs) But anyways, so that's kind of the example because I mean, the one that we hear all the time is no one's telling Michael Phelps not to swim, even though he clearly has these biological advantages, you know, web fingers, wingspan, all these things. So should he not be allowed to swim? So now we're getting, you know, really picky and petty about, who should be able to compete and who should not be able to compete. And then we have the issue, well, give them their own category, right? Well, okay. So let's look at the relationship between men and women's sports. Who gets paid more? Who gets this? Who gets that? So who has all these advantages? So we're just finding another way to step on another group and make them feel less than. Mm-hmm. Here we are again. So here we are again. So that's where we're running into It is not binary, and you can't just isolate it to this one thing. Wow. So let's talk a little bit more about the biological advantage. There are a group of athletes as well who identify as trans women, and we've also seen where they do not want them to compete in women's sports. 
that they should still stay in the male sport, right? Help the listener to understand one, why? And, you know, I'm really sensitive. I realize I'm not trying to make you all the experts on everything, right? It's just like saying, I'm a Black woman, so I'm an expert on Black women culture. No, that's not fair. Nevertheless, can you help the listeners to understand why is that and why is this the expectation? Maybe, Tori, you want to jump in here. Well, one of the things that, like, I feel like often gets ignored when we're having this conversation is how we are having the conversation. If someone wants to have a conversation about does a certain individual have a, let's say, a biological advantage that goes outside of the agreed upon measurements that are set by the drug testing people, if we want to have that conversation of is it fair for trans athletes to compete purely on a biological level, that is one conversation. But that's not the conversation that is had. The conversation is a morality one. It's a why would you let these people compete with biological women. And they hide behind the argument of fairness in female sports. But you notice they never care about female sports unless they perceive a quote unquote male jumping into it. So it's a false cause that they're really promoting here. They say it's about fairness in women's sports, but we don't address anything about pay, about equipment, about opportunity, any of these other things. We are pinpointing this one factor, which if we're being completely honest, we're talking about an extremely small population, an important population, but in the the mass of things that are affecting female sports, this is on the smaller end, but it's easy to pinpoint and to, to raise a flag on this. So we're already starting the conversation at a negative part, a disadvantage, if that makes sense. So why is this getting so much attention, especially to your point, Tori, if it's such a small group, why is this getting the microphone. Honestly, my whole reasoning and why trans people are becoming such a polarized topic in general, to me, it goes back to the approval of same-sex marriage and same-sex adoption. If you think about that, that for years, that was the main topic people would talk about when they're talking about the LGBTQ community. It was about marriage. It was about adoption. Well, those are done now. Those have been set. It is the law of the land now. So what do people do once they're first punching bag has been eliminated. They seek another one and they seek one that's even lower that, you know, it's even easier to pick on because there's not a lot of them. And it's easy to say like, wow, look at them. Aren't they so other? Aren't they so much different than us? Like we can't allow this other to impact our community because what would that mean? So personally, that's why I believe why it's getting so much attention because they needed another punching bag in the LGBT community and trans people No matter what you say, trans people are some of the most degraded, some of the most picked on people in this country. They just, because it is something that people just cannot fathom some idea that you could be different than the sex that you're assigned. It's thinking of things, like you said, outside the binary is difficult for some people because it's so easy to categorize people, man, woman gay, straight, that's easy. When you start really diving into that gray area and and investigating, maybe things aren't as they seem, it makes people uncomfortable. And it's easier to be combative with the uncomfortable than dive deeper and make it change some of the things that we've come to know as fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it goes so much deeper than sport. Like sport Mm -hmm. is something that's in our face right now. Like sport is something you see on TV. Mm -hmm. It's something that everybody understands sport. Most people, there's some sports I really still don't get. (laughs) But it goes so much deeper. It's so much deeper. So like if we're talking about 
opportunities that Tori touched on, opportunities that trans athletes or trans people in general have. You know, trans people are more likely to drop out of school. So then they wouldn't have these opportunities to be able to train in sport, to go compete and get to this elite level. And then if we really, really dive into it, the Black trans women community, their average lifespan is 35 years. Wow. I think you should say that again, Jess. I will say that has been elevated recently. Okay. Because the current generation is aging a little bit more, but it is in that 40. It's very low. Very young. It's young. Yes. So why is that? Is that because of a lack of healthcare disparities? (laughs) I know I've seen instances in which they've been murdered. It's a lot of hate crime. That's mainly it. Again, it's one of those topics that get uncomfortable. But when you start talking about opportunity, we talk about like once you become an adult, What is your livelihood? How are you going to provide for yourself? Unfortunately, a lot of trans people, they don't get a lot of, they get placed in positions where they don't have the opportunity other people do. Unfortunately, most of them go into sex work, not because they want to, because it is the only option they have. And let me say here, I am not downgrading sex work. Get your money. But it's different when you choose to do a certain career and when you have no choice but to do something. And we know within that becomes means of sexual violence. And there's a lot of sexual violence that are done to the trans community. And then there's just a lot of just straight up violence done to them, especially when you think of black and brown women where they are already a population that no one's really checking for. People already aren't really looking at the black community that way. And if you put on another qualifier that they are, it's sad, but people aren't really looking out for that community like they can. So a missing trans person is not going to get the same amount of attention as a missing 10-year-old white girl. And I would say that part, I think we could also couple that too with just like a 10-year-old white girl versus a 10-year-old black boy. I mean, it's very much the same, just that hierarchy like you're mentioning. How do we start to change it? Trans people are people. Like, it's, again, the language, again, recognizing that just because you don't want these experiences to exist doesn't mean that they do not exist. They exist. Trans people exist. They're not going anywhere. They're here. And it's creating opportunities. We talked about, you know, Tori touched on sex work. And not to get too off topic, but this ties back into, you know, if we legalize sex work, which is an industry that has been here since the beginning of time, it also is not going to go anywhere. And Vegas has figured it out. Yeah. (laughs) It's like if it becomes an actual legal thing, then you have certain protections under the law. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be protected at first because nothing ever is at first when people are still so pissed off that something so controversial could be brought to light like that. But so we're talking also about socioeconomic status. And so we know that socioeconomic status plays a role in your health. Socioeconomic status plays a role in where you live. It also plays a role in where you go to school. And again, we go back to playing a role in the opportunities you have to even be an athlete and to be a trans athlete, which is why, Tori, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any American trans athletes who was the weightlifter? She was from New Zealand. And so if we look at where oh. these trans athletes are coming from, they're coming from places that support their population. They came from Canada. There was a trans athlete on the women's soccer team. And there was a 
trans athlete from New Zealand. And both of these countries, from a health and socioeconomic status, they do a better job than we do mm-hmm. here yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. No, not that I recall, no. Yeah. Yeah, New Zealand, they definitely have a mm-hmm. really, they're known for, right, their healthcare system and such. Yep. And then let's talk about the bias with that. Oh, we can't have this woman competing with the women's Olympic team. She didn't place, okay? If men have such a huge advantage in sport, Mm -hmm. then why didn't she just sweep it? Mm -hmm. Why didn't she just take it all? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good. Because there are other biological factors that play a role. And that conversation, that is something that you personally have an issue with the trans community. It is not the trans community itself. I think also when people are thinking about like the trans community and someone who is a trans person, they always have the most extreme thought in their mind. They think of like a 6'8 LeBron James figure who decides, who decided three weeks ago that they are trans and now they're transitioning. Now they're trying to compete. In a lot of cases, it does not work like that, especially at the Olympic level. They have to qualify like you said, those biological words, they have to qualify to get there. So people are very much using the eye test. They like to use the eye test and say like, oh, well, this person, clearly it's not fair. But that's to say to look at me and to look at someone who is five to 120 pounds and be like, oh, clearly Tori is going to beat them just by looking at them. Well, that's not true. That person just tossed me on my head. So like people are making assumptions based on the eye test that just aren't. They don't hold water. So you clearly both are fired up, (laughs) (laughs) which is a good thing because it goes back to our very first conversation around allyship, right? So neither one of you stated that you identified as being trans. So it goes back to being that powerful voice for someone who is, quote, the voiceless, right? And Jess, I want to talk a little bit about your gym, Fit Power MKE, and what you've done to give this community a voice. The first thing out there is we don't ask somebody if they're trans. You know, we don't ask you to lift up your skirt. We don't ask anyone to, you don't have to prove anything. But we do have people who are open about their identity. And also trans has many, many looks. So being trans doesn't mean that you sit on the binary either. It doesn't mean you're a trans woman or a trans man. Non-binary sits under that umbrella as well. So there's just many ways to identify under that as trans. So that's number one. Number two, we have trans folk on our staff. So that was intentional and for me just obvious, like, because these people are my friends. And also, they're really good at what they do. So why would I not hire these people? Right. Because you're not hiring them because you're checking a box. You're hiring them because of their skill set. Their skill set. Absolutely. And we have the trans flag up in the gym. We have multiple trans people in the gym. And we have the progress flag up in the gym. The progress flag, for those who don't know, it's the trans flag. They added the black and brown. And it's implemented within the pride flag. Yeah, it's really pretty. We have a pride wall. I'm so (laughs) proud of that wall. So all of our like FAQs and our contracts... I say contracts, we don't do contracts at our gym, but the language in there is they, them. There's no binary language anywhere in there. We celebrate body autonomy. And that's why we've moved away from typical gym 
diet culture type things. We don't do before and after pictures. Your body is your body and it's fine. What you want to do with it is between you and your coach and it's your goal. So we don't want to promote body dysmorphia or anything like that. So yeah, there's so many things you can do to just be a decent human and be inclusive in your gym. And it really has just comes down to language and recognizing, acknowledging, and respecting the experiences of different people, respecting pronouns. I think the coolest thing about the gym, and that's different in the jujitsu community, like we don't technically need a women's jujitsu class. We have one to represent a couple of women who are, we do it to represent Jewish Orthodox women and more conservative Muslim women. But we still include trans women in that category. Yes, they are still welcome to come to the women's class. What is excellent about our gym is the people who identify as non-binary even if they are femme-presenting, meaning to the world they look like a woman, they still respect the class for what it is for the people in that class's sake because they don't need a class because the entire gym just accepts them. So we don't need to have these special little things. It just... It just is what it well, is. It is what it is. Yeah, everyone is welcome. Yeah, and you can say everyone is welcome at your spaces, but... I will look at the language you are using. I will look at, are you making any type of phobic jokes, slurs, anything like that? I will look at, do the people in charge, do they shut it down immediately? Do the people who maybe they didn't realize they were making jokes, do they go, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I look for all those things. And if those things do not exist, then I don't believe your gym is truly inclusive because it takes time. I don't want to say it's not possible. It takes time. This is years in the making. Right. Yeah. You've been doing this for 10 years. That is nothing to sneeze at. That's definitely a long time. And then, Tori, how long have you had the Mighty Dames? I had the Mighty Dames. We're in our fourth year right now. Oh, see, yeah. You've put in the work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to bring up something I was looking for because I wanted it to be a part of our conversation when we're talking about disparities, right? And we have been a little bit heavier when it comes to the sports arena. But we see these disparities between men and women across all industries, right? Sue Bird, she played for the WNBA Lakers team, the Sparks. And then LeBron James, as you know, he plays for the Lakers, the NBA team. They both have been in the WNBA and the NBA for 17 seasons. That's a long time. Okay, 17 seasons. They both have four championships. She has four WNBA championships. He has four NBA championships. Their salaries in 2020, Sue Bird, $215,000. LeBron James, $37.44 million. Talk about a disparity, right? (laughs) Wow. And then in 2020, because as we know, in 2021, the Bucks won. Go Bucks. This is totally a biased podcast. Go Bucks. (laughs) Their bonuses for winning when she won in uh, 2020, she received an $11,356 bonus. And he actually received a $370,000 bonus for winning, just for winning. 
That's a big gap if people can't do the math <laughs> as quickly as I cannot do the math either. But right. that's a big gap. But you can hear the big gap, right? Uh-huh. And so people yeah. started putting this out to bring attention between the WNBA and the NBA. We also know like women's sports at the collegiate level, they started bringing things to the forefront, sharing like these are just the differences in the training facilities, that right? That was ridiculous. That was crazy, right? It was absolutely <laughs> yes. ridiculous to be able to see that. How could we use that same energy and effort in bringing this to the forefront for others, bringing the trans community, trans athletes or just the trans community in general to the forefront? In a gym, for me, it's transparency as far as equal opportunity to different groups of people. And it does depend because we're talking about equity, right? Like not everything is created equal. We can't say that everything's created equal. It's not. So this one... Because it's just so embedded in what we have in Fit Power right now, it's hard for me to see the glaring disparities right now. I know there will be some. Like, for example, there's some things like I'm trying to advocate for our property manager to have a disabled parking spot or to get the doors to automatically open. Or, you know, I'm trying to advocate for different things to make sure that Something as simple as opening a door, everyone has an opportunity to open our door. Like that seems really simple, but that's kind of what we're talking about. But like for me, it's educating my coaches to make sure that they can take on different types of people. Mm -hmm. For me, it's setting up a good system so that even if somebody hits an economic hardship, if I know that the gym is a safe, good space for them, I can still pay my coaches up to three months and they can train for free if they need to. If they've switched a job or if they've lost a job or whatever's happening. Those are things that I see right now as how can I level out the playing field to make sure that people have equal opportunities to health, to strength, to community. Those are some things that I do within my gym. And those are more just like hard things, not soft skill things. Those are more like hard skill things. I've set up systems to make sure that people have this opportunity. I set up a system when I first opened Fit Power so that even if zero income came in during the pandemic and shutdown, we would be able to pay our coaches and keep the doors open for six months. Those are things that I was taught from the beginning to have set up because money does create opportunities. And we can't deny that either because we live in a capitalistic society. So we can't ignore that. So how do we spread the wealth? Right. No, that's really good. So Jess, you mentioned education. Tori, what would you recommend or what types of education should people, maybe they want to learn more. This has now sparked an interest or they're curious now. Beyond Google, right? We all know we can Google something with an inch of its life. Yeah. One of the things I think like the best way to understand a culture is to immerse yourself in it. Not as in case like to be a warrior, but like kind of learn more about the community, learn how to embrace your community more. So here in Central Florida, between Orlando and Tampa, we have a really good big gay community or LGBTQ community. And we have a lot of straight allies who just, they come to events. When we have pride, everyone is there. But something as simple as going to a pride is a way for you to 
get acclimated to being around people who are going to be all over the spectrum. And it's going to be, some people are going to make you, it's going to be extremely uncomfortable. Simple as just like people who are just much more explicit with their bodies. But it is a way for you to experience people, to experience what they're doing, just like to see how absolutely normal it really is once you get past that initial shock factor. As I say, like, integrate yourself within communities that you want to learn. Because yeah, you can learn a lot from Google. You can learn a lot from YouTube. But when we're talking about individuals and people, they're more than words and pictures on a screen. You need to truly, you need to invest in them and understand more about it. Also going back to the whole online thing, you know, like Facebook is a great resource that has a lot of great groups. You can find a group and dive in. That's another way of getting into a community joining a group that you don't have to physically do it, especially with like the whole COVID experience. You can find communities that are so willing to help you learn and that, or just to observe in a way and and let it kind of like, let it surround you. You just have to be open to that initial thing and realize it's okay to be uncomfortable. Learning is uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable but you want to move beyond that uncomfortable. If you stay there, you're never going to see the other opportunities that come from it. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So maybe it's someone who is a part of the trans community or a part of the LGBTQ plus community, and they are looking to start and create spaces or safe conversations, right? For brave conversations, they're looking to begin. What tip would you give them? Especially if I'm thinking about, too, some of the violence that has happened, what tips would you give them? Either one of you, if you want to respond to that. Are we saying they are a trans person or, because the first thing I would say is, do you know a trans person? Not like a friend of a friend of a friend. Like, are you friends? Because that's like when the protests started happening last summer, everyone's like, no, 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 I have a black friend. Mm-hmm. Uh I was like, oh. okay, <laughs> good job. Right, right. <laughs> Way to you go. yourself in the back. Yeah, good for you. Mm-hmm. But it's like, the first thing is like, who are you surrounding yourselves with? Is your group pretty homogenous? Because you can't create these spaces if you're not in the space yourself. So like the only thing I remember, I remember something very, very clear when I knew I wanted to reach out to the BIPOC community, the very first Sweet Life. Mm-hmm. Sweet Life Social. That yeah. I went to with you. Again, a paid event. Mm-hmm. I didn't just get to show up. <laughs> <laughs> you made an investment. I made an investment. Yes. I wanted to learn from Dr. Lacey and her panel of peers. You know, I wanted to learn. I think I was one of two white women in the group. Oh, you're talking about the Everyday Business Conference. Everyday Business Conference. Yeah, Sorry about so this, that. Yes. For those of you who don't know and listening, this is a conference we host once a year in the fall. It is specifically targeting people who are in leadership, people who are business owners and entrepreneurs. There is a difference so that we can create a safe space that they can come and learn together. And our target audience is women because oftentimes we don't support each other. We're not groomed to support each other. And we don't always feel safe in all spaces to be able to ask questions. Right. And it's not that I didn't feel safe. I felt very safe. I felt like I was invading. Mm, I felt invasive because being one of two white women who were in the group that day, I believe. There was more than two, but that's fine. How many were there? (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. I just remember me and my friend were there and I was like, okay, it's us. And just being like, I'm pretty sure, I think I almost cried. I did cry that day. I was like, 
I'm taking up somebody else's space and I shouldn't be doing this and all these things. But, you know, at the end of the day, I connected with so many awesome people and it changed. I was uncomfortable and I needed to, I need to put myself in that spot to grow. And now the community, like, I feel like I am an important part of what's going on but not the center of what's going on. And I needed to like, I needed to do that for myself. So if you're looking to create these kind of spaces, are you trying to center yourself and be the main guy? Like saying, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Or are you really trying to create a space for people, which means they get to talk and they get the microphone? That part. I think that's really powerful and a good reminder for everyone who's listening. It doesn't matter what type of space you're trying to create. You want to ensure that you are creating a space in which you are not necessarily the center of the universe, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like this, we could just go on and on and perhaps record (laughs) three more episodes just along (laughs) this topic in itself. If you were to describe in one word, a starting point, thinking about our series and what we've done together thinking about representation, thinking about neurodiversity, thinking about biology not being binary. If you could only just give me one word, what would it be for our listeners? Tori, I'm going to start with you. Okay. One word encapsulates all of these things. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Just one word <laughs> for a, a wide ranging of topics. Maybe belief and that you have to have this belief that all of these things are possible and are achievable. I think with most things, we are so indoctrinated to doubt ourselves, to think that whatever we want to strive for and the idea of representation, if we're allowed to do something, we need to have a belief that, yes, this is a place for you. As for neurodiversity, we have to think that even though my mind might not be the norm, I still have belief that I'm able to achieve these things. And as far as biology, where it's yourself or someone else, I have the belief that these people should be here with me. They have a right to be at the table. So I think we belief can carry you such a far way. There has to be action before it, but you have to have that spark to ignite that passion to want to do more. Awesome. Jess, what about you? What would your one word be? Probably transparency. Because I think transparency can lead to honesty and you don't know something, say you don't know it. Don't pretend. If you're uncomfortable, say you're uncomfortable and try to identify why. Yeah, being transparent lets people see, okay, this is where they are. This is where they're trying to go. And it lets them make the choice if they're going to disclose more information to you, if they're ready to be at your space. So yeah, just being very transparent. Ladies, I want to thank you both again for being a part of this series, being a part of this conversation. If I had to pick one word, my word would be catalyst, because I feel as though this is a great start to something bigger, to conversations that need to continue to happen as we create brave spaces for them. As we continue to cultivate an authentic, trustworthy, and compelling narrative, because we know as leaders, we have to be intentional so that internal success can then show as external success. I want to remind everyone who's listening, despite as to what you might think, it's not always comfortable, but these DEI conversations are important and they're not going anywhere. So let's continue to address and recognize our biases 
and our blind spots and join us as we continue to ignite a commitment to new ideas. I want to say thank you again to Tori and to Jess for being here, being a part of this series. And remember, keep knocking down walls because there are plenty that need to be knocked down. Thanks again for joining in and we'll see you soon.